Hi, folks. So today we're going to be talking about the movie Starship Troopers, which is one of my favorite movies by one of my favorite directors, uh, Paul Verhoeven. He stars Casper Van Dien, and um, he is basically, if, if you, actually, if you haven't seen it somehow, stop listening to this episode and just go watch it. I promise you will enjoy it. It's kind of impossible not to enjoy. And I think it was the climax of a kind of trilogy that Paul Verhoeven did. He did Robocop, which I think is... One of my favorite movies and, and probably one of the best movies of all time. He did uh, Total Recall, which is this great action thriller with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I, I have an earlier episode on that. And uh, then he had Starship Troopers. And uh, Starship Troopers is back in the marketplace of ideas these days. I think it might be a viral marketing campaign for Helldivers 2, which is a new video game. But I haven't played yet, but it looks very fun. Anyway, essentially Starship Troopers, it's a distant future where Earth is under this quasi-military government and uh, people have to serve in the military or do some kind of hardship service in order to get the right to vote. And everything's very jingoistic. A lot of those like aesthetic influences are pretty openly Nazi or fascist inspired. And there are hints of the world building where it's like there's like public executions and public lashings and, and just a, an overall more martial character to society. Anyway, the, the hero joins the military and we get into an interstellar war against the bugs. And the hero rises through the rank and, and eventually captures one of the bug leaders or helps, helps do that. And it's, it's back in the news because leftists are saying that right-wingers are just too dumb to get that uh, Starship Troopers is satire. So I wanted to talk about the idea of Starship Troopers and other of Paul Verhoeven's movies as satire. So the last time that I remember Starship Troopers coming up in like the public discourse, and this is when I was like a kid, but there was the, the Joe the Plumber scandal with Obama where like some guy, if you say he was a plumber and if he worked part-time as a plumber, asked Obama about cost of living or, and, you know, the, the state of working people and Obama gave some, you know, weird answer. And so it looked like Joe the Plumber owned in and then the liberal media dug through this guy's whole life and found everything embarrassing he ever said or did and, and you know, they just tried to ruin him basically. And so liberals like would often make fun of the stuff he said and, you know, the stuff he said, science was like a little silly, but... I mean, who cares? He's just like a normal guy. But one of the things they said was he wished the news was kind of like the Starship Troopers newsreels, something to that effect. And people were like, oh my God, like, don't people get the length Starship Troopers is satire? I'm like, this is actually a common motif in Paul Verhoeven's work where he loves depicting kind of corporate news advertisements or, you know, obviously pseudo journalistic news programs and like announcing things about the world. He does this to great effect in Robocop and they're all very funny. And you just paint the world as a dystopia. And that happens in Starship Troopers where they they basically just give the like World War II newsreel where the guy's like, oh, our boys are giving them hell in this or that place. And maybe it has some bearing to reality, but like really they can just say anything. And, you know, in the movie they hint that they're concealing how dire the situation is or how what what's actually going on behind the scenes. This is something that comes up a lot and that people always discuss and and leftists often fall back on the fact that in the director's commentary the director himself 
says that the movie is satire several times. And I think Paul Verhoeven, he doesn't really have strong political views. He's probably just a normie lib, and a, a lot of his films satirize corporate excesses or just dumb things in American life. Like I think it, he does, his movies about kind of American culture are always really funny because he like has us to a T, and everything is very larger than life. But there's also the, you know the the reason that his movies are so popular is that they're funny, right? Like this is done in a very loving way and and not a mean spirited way at all. And I think that that that's why a lot of movies that are supposed to like take down. America or like that are, are nominally anti, you know, anti the American public, it, it often seems like cope or like bitterness, right? Like they're, they're really responding to the people who made fun of them in high school. Like that's a, that's a common thing. If you can look at a lot of directors who make this like schlock, like they're always kind of like weedy guys and they're, you know, they really just have the, um, their eternal grudge against the like popular kids or the football players or whatever, and they want them to make them out to be buffoons or just monsters or things like that. Anyway, Paul Verhoeven doesn't do that. And so his movies, like there are satirical elements to them, but I think that they can kind of be enjoyed by everyone. And so, you know, people say that they're satire. And again, they're, they're satirical elements, but like Paul Verhoeven is not twisting the knife, right? It's, it's kind of all in good fun. And I, I think the closest parallel to what Paul Verhoeven is doing is a show like Twin Peaks. And people who like watch Twin Peaks today on like Netflix won't necessarily get this. But the reason that Twin Peaks is so surreal and like has that kind of dreamlike quality is one, you know, it, it, it has something to do with David Lynch's kind of personal philosophy, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that the way they shot it was kind of a, a purity of like what was then D-kind soap operas. And it's kind of corny. It's kind of theatrical. It's like a little, it's like reality plus. And that was something that people back then were comfortable with. And so seeing something they were familiar with, but twisted in kind of an interesting way was very compelling. And, you know, it's, it's still compelling today, even if you don't have that context. And the term I learned for this or that I think is applicable is pastiche. And I'm, I'm sure if, if any of you guys have like formal education in this, like I'll, I'll be using this word slightly incorrectly, but this is how I understand it, where it's kind of a self-conscious reproduction of another person's style. So like with Twin Peaks, it's reproducing the style of a soap opera, but it's not a soap opera. And so the, the soap opera elements are kind of played for laughs, but it's not trying to suggest that like soap operas are dumb or that they're like inferior or like, you know, the, the people who watch soap operas are, are like all, you know, retarded or something like that. It's using kind of the soap opera as a, a base to grow from and something that they can take in interesting directions. And the things that make Twin Peaks kind of like a soap opera are dialed up a lot, like you're supposed to notice them, like you're supposed to notice that it's similar to a soap opera and that helps um, accentuate the normal domesticity of the, the town of, of Twin Peaks and, you know, small towns. I love a small town now. There are a lot of colorful characters there and uh, that's that's okay though, right? Like that's not like, the, you're not like looking down on people or like cruelly making fun of them by just noticing that thing. In fact, it's very enjoyable. And all of uh, Paul Verhoeven's films, even though there are parody elements to it, right? Like Robocop, it's a parody of corporate culture, but it's it's not like a mean-spirited parody, right? It's not like you are a complete idiot scum for 
enjoying this ultraviolence or for laughing along with this dystopian capitalist thing, right? It's, it's supposed to be funny. You're supposed to like it. When you go to the movie theater and see RoboCop or Starship Troopers um, or, or Total Recall, the Total Recall is, is less of, is much, the, the parody elements of that are really there, at least to the same extent. But you're supposed to enjoy all these movies and you're not supposed to come away with a lot of distaste for the main characters. Even when you have bad guys who are definitely supposed to be parody figures like the, the like corporate raider type in Robocop, he's a bad guy, but he's like, he's fun, right? He's interesting. Like you're not going to feel dirty looking at these people. And I think a, a lot of movies that are like really deep parodies are really, um, uh, I'm trying to think of it, but like you don't feel total disgust at them right? They're funny and interesting and people can quote from them and not feel bad about it. And they don't have the nastiness of, of villains in like, you know, a movie like The Pro the Proposition, which is like a, an Australian Western, but it's like highly revisionist and ultra realistic and gritty. And you just feel disgusted by the end. That's not the case at all with your Ovenstones. And so why are people today really fixated on the parody aspect of Starship Troopers or Robocop or really anything else? You know, that that's kind of the question. Obviously, people enjoy these movies at a really base level, and they're not thinking about the parody, right? Like, you know, tons of conservatives enjoy Starship Troopers. And if you read the Wikipedia description of Starship Troopers, like they're like, well, don't they get that the, the movie is making fun of them? You know, they do to some extent, but like not, the movie's not really making fun of them, right? Like it's, it's you know, they're they're having fun with it, right? Like it's it's um, the, the thing that Starship Troopers is riffing on is all these kind of action epics and World War II films. And, you know, they were propaganda, but they're also things that like people enjoy on a very base level. And the movie doesn't try to take that away from them. And so, of course, they're going to like it. And even the, the parody stuff, I think that this is like at the, at, the, at the core of this is a phenomenon that you see in high school classrooms and college classrooms today. And it's the term media literacy. I actually hate, I hate this term so much, but media literacy is the idea that you like critically analyze every piece of a work and you're going to reach, like you're going to find the subtext and the secret depths of this thing and, you know, beyond the base level. And so that phenomenon of like analyzing things, that's like good in general, right? Like it's good to get a, a thorough understanding of it. But today... Their, people's understanding of it is like, did you get the right political message from this work? And, you know, you see this all the time with elementary school and, re, you know, just re, with like efforts to like increase liter, like literacy today. Like it's a book that's supposed to teach kids how to read, but it will have some insane propaganda message. In it. Like um, I saw just today a tweet where it's like girls survive 9-11 and the cover is two girls and one of them has like a rainbow flag jacket and in september 11 2001 and on the back page it's like well she has two dads and something like that and it's like these things would have been extremely unusual back then but they want to normalize lgbt stuff to children and so they're just going to insert it into everything and as a kid i didn't pick up on those messages Right. Like I, you know, I, looking back on a lot of stuff that I read as a kid, there was like a really strong anti-racism message in it. I can't even remember this. Um, 
what the, this book was called, but there's a very strange book I read where it's like the kid, he meets like a racist family and he learns to reject them and they have these big heavy doors to keep the black people out or something like that. And like kids don't notice that, right? Like they just enjoy the story and they enjoy the, the process of reading and like, you know, going into this other world. They're not really thinking about the message. And essentially with media literacy, they're pointing out the message and they're like, you know, hey, like this is what you were supposed to get from this. And because most people, you know, at least, you know, children don't get that. And most adults, if they're just enjoying something, like they're not necessarily thinking deeply about it, won't think that's the main point. And so leftists think that they're a genius for like pointing out the propaganda message. And very funny, like I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that everyone's met those, you know, met men a boomer like this. But occasionally you'll get some like pig-headed old person who will insist that like subtext and like deeper themes don't exist. And the person was just, you know, the, the author, they're obviously commenting on something political or, or some deeper theme of life. And the person was like, well, actually, I think it's just a like surface level entertainment story. And like, I don't know, like that person is obnoxious, right? Like there's the, the like uncle at your Thanksgiving cable and it can be like annoying, but I don't think most people think that way. And I don't think most people have their like minds closed off to the possibility of there being something deeper. But leftists think that they have like ascended to a higher plane by basically pointing out propaganda messages in media. I think that this kind of goes back to a, a larger meta narrative on the left where the, the reason the Harry Potter series was so popular was that left see themselves as like having magic powers by having their views and by like being a, a you know quote-unquote educated person and so you know harry potter not only has this very reactionary message right you know, your bloodline is so important and there's a small minority of magic people and they're surrounded by this like larger majority that will destroy them because they hate beauty or something like that but really like, like let's just love harry potter because they think that they're wizards and that they have secret knowledge but their secret knowledge will be like that the movie that they're watching thinks that racism is bad and they'll take a college class on that. And I, actually, I was I was at a coffee shop uh, a few weeks ago, and I was sitting next to two older women. They were they were in their forties, and one of them was a college professor, and she was just describing TV shows that she liked, and it was like just like total normie slop. And it, it was actually surreal for me sitting in the coffee shop because that was for a class. Like go, that was the stuff that she was making her her students watch. And so you go to college to watch TV and have this like kind of chubby 40-year-old woman who seems kind of brain dead tell you what messages you're supposed to get from your TV show. And like that, you know, that's, uh, I guess when you're around really dumb people that might feel like a magic power, right? Like you'll get someone you, for whatever reason, is going to deny that there's, there's any message at all. But it's really not like a lot of this stuff is like obvious to the point of being totally ham-fisted. And you see this with um, True Detective Night Country, where it's like this over-the-top kind of propaganda thing. And I will say I haven't seen it. I've only like read descriptions of it. But it seems really on the nose with a bunch of like leftists, cause celebrates and then things like that. And you're obviously supposed to get a political message from it. And... If they can see the political message, they think that they've just like unraveled the, the mysteries of the universe and, and have access to the hidden depths that, you know, conservatars will never, never be able to approach. And I did the ones you're getting with Starship Troopers where, yeah, there are parody elements, but everyone kind of sees them, right? And everyone thinks, everyone is supposed to think that they're funny. It's not supposed to override the entire work or I guess maybe it does define it, right? It's obviously like characterized by the style, but you're not supposed to necessarily get one 
one particular message. And I mean, Verhoeven's statements, like, you know, Verhoeven's statements on the political content of Starship Troopers were really funny. He was like, well, I wanted to make a movie about fascism because the first George Bush was president and like he was increasing the death penalty and getting rid of gun control. And at least gun control doesn't have anything to do with fascism. And lots of societies have the death penalty that are not fascist. So I think it's very funny. It's like a kind of ill-formed criticism of society. It is so ill-formed that they kind of forget to criticize this fictional militaristic society. And that kind of brings us to the, the meat of the episode, which is that like the world of Starship Troopers, and I think this is the reason why conservatives like it so much, is a utopia by like any objective measure. It seems like it is a society. We never see any poor areas. We never see any people who are unhealthy. It's a society that has appears to have overcome race and class division. Like everyone is, is living in harmony. The main character, like even though they're supposedly a totalitarian government, right, they're whipping people in the public square for doing bad things and they're they're executing murderers on live TV. People who are not part of the government, who are not citizens and can't vote and haven't done military services are shooed as like wealthy and prosperous. Like the main character, Johnny Rico, his family is extremely rich and his parents are actually contemptuous of the government. And so obviously the government has not killed them for this. It hasn't seized their property. They can kind of go about their lives in peace. And I mean, frankly, the Starship Trooper Society by, I think, pretty much any objective measure is better than our own. And people walking around that society are probably a lot healthier and happier than the, the people in America today. And it just like forgets to satirize it, right? Like when, it, when there's like dumb stuff, it's either cool or funny. So um, a lot of people have mentioned in the boot camp, the boot camp is the most over the top, like brutal thing imaginable. You're not supposed to feel sorry for the people who are victimized by that. There's a very funny scene where some guys like, well, why do you you need a knife and you know they're they're like training with throwing knives and a soldier's like well why do you need a knife in it and a nuke fight you can just push a button and the drill instructor makes him put his hand on a wall and then throws a throwing knife through his hand and he's like you can't push a button if you just disable his hand or something along those lines and it's hysterical and, and you are supposed to laugh at it right that's played for laughs so like the society is brutal and it's much more brutal than our current society right which you know corporal punishment seems to be totally gone but it's so funny and it's so enjoyable that like I don't think that the the intended reaction for the audience and I don't think the natural reaction for the audience right is totally separate from the intent would be like wow it's, it's really critiquing this thing right? You're supposed to laugh at it. You're supposed to think it's fun. And there's a training drill. Like a lot of the, the tactics, the, this is another thing people ought to bring up. The tactics that the mobile infantry, that's the sol what the soldiers are called, use are so down. They're all like bunched up together. They're firing full auto and really close range. And there's a, a training accident where they're using live ammo all really close together in the middle of their base. And someone predictably gets shot in the head doing this and his like head blows up. And like, it's dumb, but it, it looks so cool. And that's, you know, I mean, something like the the, the proposition, I, again, like, I, I don't think it's really, it's not exactly the same. I don't think it's like a parody or anything like that. But like, it's certainly supposed to be a revisionist Western. And so it's revisionist and it kind of, you know, turns the Western genre, the classic Western genre on its head by being very realistic in glory. And you are not supposed to enjoy it. Or if you do enjoy it, like there's something kind of wrong with you. For Starship Troopers, you are supposed to enjoy every minute of this thing. Even when they show you something that is very dumb, you enjoy it on a very very base low. And again, the, 
that I think mutes the parody elements and, and, you know, sends it into the realm of pastiche. It's one of these things where parody elements are kind of made for viral tweets where the things that people point out are just trivia right? It's just a little point. And you can see how that little point would be parody. And, but that doesn't override the entire movie, which is so enjoyable. And I mean, even the world building, building elements themselves kind of totally undermine any critique that you can make of it, right? Like the society is genuinely very nice. Everyone is genuinely getting along. And the things that supposedly make it a dystopia are not present at all. No one's living in a dystopia. And I think that a lot of the elements that people are pointing out in the Starship Troopers, like tweets that all these like leftist critics say, clearly prove that the movie is parody. Like you can, you can see those in, in multiple different ways. So I think about um, an in-scene that I don't know, I don't remember who wrote this, but they're like, you stupid conservatives, don't you see that humanity is clearly losing the war by the end of the movie? And things have gotten so bad that they are conscripting literal children to fight in the army, um, like it's like Berlin, 1945. And he's referencing a scene towards the end of the movie where Rico had, you know, Johnny Rico, the hero, he's been field promoted to lieutenant. So now he's, a, he's finally in command after working his way up through the ranks. And um, his unit has taken so many casualties that they're given replacements. And the replacements are obviously much younger than them, like 14 to, you know, like they're like 14 years old, like the, the uniforms barely fit them. And the other guys like, yeah, these guys are just having basic training. And he can see that as like, well, they're like literal children. Again, like, the, you know, things have gotten so bad that they're sending children to fight. But if you think about it, like John and Rico and his friends in the movie are supposed to be 18-year-olds, right? You see them graduate high school at the start of the movie. And so they're supposed to be very young, but they're obviously played by actors and actresses who are like, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And so... I think the, the presence of the people who were obviously much younger than them in that scene was kind of supposed to accentuate the fact that, like, they're old veterans now. They're the old timers. And they must have looked like children to the people in charge when they first joined the military, too. And so it's like, I think it's like it's something that emphasizes Jami Rigo's like development as kind of a natural leader and a hero. And so, yeah, I mean, you can say that it's like a last ditch thing, but there's also no evidence that humanity is losing the war, right? We, we don't see any indication of what Earth is like. You know, we know that they don't like a new asteroid defense system. Uh, humanity loses the first battle, but it also seems like they're in the middle of a new offensive and the, the movie climaxes with humanity finally capturing a member of the, the Bugs leadership cast. So it's like a victory. And there's, there's literally no indication other than the children in the uniforms that humanity is in really dire straits. And so, yeah, I mean, you can say that. Like, that's like a valid theory, but that's not the only theory. And I, I think that the, the thing that I proposed, right, like it's really a way to accentuate the main character's like growth and, and process of aging. But that makes sense too. And so, you know, like, again, this is like the leftist conception of media literacy. 
where you analyze these things so you can extract leftist tidbits of it. But there's a you know whole different world out there, and there are lots of other points to compare to. And, and people get very myopic or myopic. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But yeah, like people people get very focused on these things, and they ignore the larger context. And I mean, in the movie, there's not a lot of indication that they're losing. And in fact, there's every indication that they're not losing, right? The movie ends on a clear victory. And there's a very funny kind of other strain where people are talking about how much they empathize with the brain bug at the end of the movie. And it's very funny, like a brain bug, it's a great design. It's this kind of like chubby, like grump thing. It, lo- it literally looks like a giant brain. And you can tell the way they did it. They wanted it to be a little bit huge. And it kind of like has helpless movements. Like I don't think you can move under its own power. And it's obviously scared. And that leads into the, the final line where a psychic reads the brain bug's mind. He's like, gets afraid, which like, yeah, I mean, obviously it is. It's been captured and surrounded by people who are going to hear new experiments on it. But let's just feel like, oh man, I can't believe the chuds don't get that you're supposed to empathize with the brain bug. And I mean, then I like people were dismissing that. I'll be honest. I thought that they were trying to make the brain bug seem a little bit cute at that in that particular scene. But we've also just seen the brain bug literally suck out someone's brain, right? So it's not like a friendly thing. Like you shouldn't like the brain bug too much. And even if you kind of feel for the brain bug in that moment, you know that in the larger context, uh, like, oh yeah, I guess it's like zooming in even more, people try to claim that humanity started the war when there, there's really no indication of that. So in the opening newsreel, they mentioned that Mormon separatists started a colony in the bug exclusion zone or something like that. Like there was a quarantine zone that, that humanity set up and you weren't supposed to go there, but the Mormons did anyway. And when the Mormons set up on a you know, a remote planet, the bugs just slaughtered them all. And it was funny because like people are like, oh, well, that, that shows that humanity clearly started the war, right? We scared the bugs. And so when they do their big thing that like launches the actual invasion of the bug sector, which was they send an asteroid to destroy Buenos Aires and kill like 8 million people, that was really just self-defense. Like you can think that it's like a valid interpretation, but if you like look at the facts that the movie gives you, there's not a lot of indication that the bugs had any kind of dip diplomatic relationship with humanity, like a, a quarantine zone seems like that's something that humanity set for itself, right? It's too dangerous to go here, so you shouldn't do it. And there's no indication that the bugs have like tried to give peace a chance either. It's a deserted, barren planet in a galaxy that has hundreds of thousands, probably millions of planets, and they can share that one planet with the Mormons on their little base, and they have to like brutally kill them all like that doesn't make a lot of sense and and uh, but let this again like they they see like the piece of trivia right like oh humanity is actually really far from the bug sector the bugs weren't a threat to us at all and they don't think about the context it's like well, why why did the bugs feel the need to kill all those people in really horrible ways right just for like stopping on a planet that the, the Ukrainians didn't even know the bugs were on the planet beforehand and uh, there's a really funny graph that was like levels of, of caring and empathy where conservatives, the people that care most about are the members of their family and liberals. And I, I, knew, I think that this was probably liberals like kind of memeing themselves into this position. But it's, it's something that I guess is close to their biases. 
Yankees were saying that they, they like feel the same way about their families as they do about like the rocks in the ocean and like the universe at large and they're not more close to their family. Again, I don't think that that's true, but that kind of like, you know, kind of comical, retarded egalitarianism is at the center of, of leftist philosophy. And so they want to empathize with the bugs more than they want to empathize with humanity. And so they're ignoring all the, the details that kind of build against their interpretation of this, which is like, yeah, like one, it's not unreasonable if they killed the Mormon settlers just for landing on this planet. And two, it's really not reasonable that they would send a giant asteroid to kill millions of innocent civilians after us. So like, yeah, humanity invading the bug sector to take out the bugs. That seems pretty reasonable. But people want to own the chides and they're armed with these pieces of trivia and the people they're arguing with might not have ever thought about the film really deeply. And so they feel like making like you know, uh, it's it's like with debates today where no one's actually debating. They're just trying to like get like a clever quip in and they can point out this fact that the person maybe didn't notice and, and treat that like a victory. But here it's it's pretty obvious the leftists are so deep into their idea of the subtext that they're just ignoring the text and they're ignoring the obvious things that they're seeing on the screen and like the elements that people actually like about the movie, including leftists, right? Leftists love it too because it's entertaining, because it has all these like uh-oh things that people today are not supposed to like but you know they like they inevitably like heroism they inevitably like the cool action scenes they inevitably like the you know people even like the uniforms right the uniforms are slick and um there, there's just a lot to love about this movie and you can tell that there is nothing like the really Scott Napoleon film, there's another episode on that that I've done. But that that's a good example of someone that's doing the like mean-spirited parody where he obviously hates Napoleon. And so everything is so lazy in that movie. The fight scenes are not exciting. Napoleon looks like a complete retard. Everything is ugly. In Starship Troopers, everything is beautiful and heroic. And they clearly put a lot of love into everything that you see on screen and a lot of thought and effort into um, realizing this fun fantasy world. So I guess moving beyond Starship Troopers and to, to Verhoeven in general, again, look, I just don't think he cares that much, right? Like, he obviously thinks about everything, but I don't think that he was trying to make a work of pure propaganda when he made Starship Troopers. And it's just, it's just I guess, funny that people want to have this really, I think Nightmare Vision had this, um, a Twitter user, God Closed My Eyes, had this great observation where it's like the leftist idea that they have like this super insightful view of a given work is really undermined by the fact that they try to make like a very tribal claim of it right in the dumbest way possible and like no like conservatives obviously can like Starship Troopers a lot there's a lot of things to love about it conservatives can have their own takes on Starship Troopers even if the director says you know something different right like that's just as valid and um if you close that off like that doesn't make you smart that makes you like really fucking stupid and I think that that's at the at the core of this modern leftism is after COVID, there is no way the leftists will ever recover from the idea that like they are the dumb party. Right? Like, there's a lot of dumb things that uh, conservatives say and do, and you know I, I can talk about that at length and, and uh, complain about it. But liberals were doing the most like insane shit for like a year straight during COVID, and it was so pseudoscientific and obviously just like hysteria and fads. They they are never going to claim that they're like cool and worldly again. And I think that that's why like the you know. 
know, I don't think that I'm particularly cool, but a lot of the, the stuff with like the Daily Show, like critique, was predicated on this idea that liberals have higher social status, they're more fluent, they're more worldly, they know more than conservatives. And having seen liberals act in just totally retarded ways for years at this point, and the, you know, the fact that they're only getting dumber is making this worse, has kind of robbed them of that. And so I think that you see this low of nastiness and vindictiveness from, you know, people like the Drew Back Laugh, you know, it's, it's a funny term, but like all those guys would like casually flirt with like internet, the internet far right and like interact with that for a while. And they can't do that anymore right? Because they'll, they'll lose their following, you know, they're, they're like, you know, internet nowist following. So they have to get really sanctimonious and self-righteous, but you can't be cool when you're doing that, right? You look like a fucking idiot. And that's the thing with Starship Troopers. Like they know that like people are having fun and they want to ruin the fun, but they don't, they're not in a position of authority to ruin the fun for everyone else. So I, I saw this very funny, um, thing in Helldivers 2, you know, it's like someone like a big Helldivers fan page is like, oh no, it's all, it's all a parody. You're not actually supposed to be a fascist. Like, we're actually making fun of the Helldivers universe, which, you know, I haven't played Helldivers, but the universe appears to be, like, identical to Search of Troopers. There's this totalitarian human government, and they are just, like, super xenophobic, and there's lots of, like, hijinks with friendly fire, and things are kind of over the top. And they're like, oh, this is a satire of militarism and, and uh, jingoism and xenophobia. But militarism and jingoism and xenophobia are things that people have liked for a really long time, and that people have made intelligent cases for in the past. And you're kind of not allowed to make intelligent cases for them now. But those intelligent cases are out there. And, and thanks to Clack Twitter, people are more and more exposed to them. And people unironically enjoy these things. And I don't know. It's it's just funny. They're gradually all, you know, all these guys who are like, well, the, the, the cool, funny guy. Um, they're gradually morphing into like these like hysteronic like hall monitors and they're like stop having fun you have to see things in one particular way and it's it's like concrete clown shoes I forgot where I saw that phrase but it really is great and they just look like complete fucking morons because that's what they are and um, you know the right the rent's gotten bigger and dumber but the left has gotten much bigger and much much dumber and it's been a, a really there's been a really noticeable brain drain in recent years so I'm sure that will only accelerate one of the most pure parody moments in the Starship Troopers movie is uh, from a newsreel after the bug attack on Buenos Aires. And you know, the bugs have killed millions of people. And there's a newsreel about how even children are doing their part to fight the bugs. And it cuts to like this idyllic suburban neighborhood and the kids are just all stopping on bugs. And there's this like kind of church lady type woman like cheering um, hysterically. And that's obviously, like, it's, it's not portraying that favorably. Like, it's really stupid. And liberals want to, like, pin that exclusively on uh, conservatives and say, like, that's a, a critique of fascism or conservatism or whatever. Uh, but that's, like, I'm sorry. Like, if you saw some of the shit that they were doing in COVID for, like, the nurses and, like, social distance dance party or whatever— like that is like, that was like North Korea shit. And that is not something that you can exclusively tar conservatives with anymore. So surge of troopers, I mean, there are parody elements, but there are obviously a lot of different interpretations that you can make of the work. I, it really is a wonderful movie. I, I strongly recommend it. I rewatched it recently and it, it holds up. It's aged like fine wine. And uh, it's funny, like for, for a movie that um, insists that it's parody, like pretty much everyone's life is improved by their participations in the system, right? Like no one, um, like Rico, he's not portrayed as the most like academically gifted person, but he comes into his own and he finds something that he's good at. Everyone else is kind of doing their own thing in a, in a positive way. And like, 
being like forgot to include the like the, the satire, right? It is funny. Like it's it's like I think there are kind of two branches of leftist thought now. The first one is is what you see from John Stewart, who they just like they rolled him out of the attic, and he it's so funny. He is like he looks like shit, and he's just this kind of like rat man, and is obviously very bitter and angry. And, you know, he gave this, like, sermon about how Tucker was a traitor for saying that Moscow had, like, a, a nicer subway than the U.S. because having a, a, a shitty subway with homeless people jerking off on it is, like, the price of freedom. And that's one direction that they're going in. And I think that older people who, like, own real estate who are lives and, like, don't want the complete destruction of society are going to go with that, right? Like, that's kind of their copium where they're like, okay, well, things are obviously much worse than they are in these kind of authoritarian countries. But instead of attributing that to, like, recent policy changes that they all still support, we're going to claim that that's, like, the natural state of existence and that this is just part of a grand bargain. And I think that that's, they might push that out as they we try to pretend that they're more moderate as, like, younger leftists get more radical and people become really alienated from, like, kind of leftist radicalism that is obviously bringing dysfunction to their lives. But I think that, like, friending it as a bargain is going to be a disaster for them in the, like, the short to midterm. It definitely won't uh, take hold in the long term because it's so obviously a bad bargain, right? You are less free if you don't feel safe in your own neighborhood. And you can say, like, oh, well, it's, it's great that we have civil rights for, you know, all these criminals and it's impossible to arrest them now. But no one actually believes that. Right. Like no, it's like no one really thinks that if they really think deeply about it, like no one, you know, no one enjoys that arrangement. And it doesn't make sense from any kind of legal or moral perspective to just let the criminals run free. Like that's that's not like a civil rights decision. That's like a like you are intentionally like self-destructing society decision. So that's a that's a bad deal. And they're dumb to present it as a bargain in endgame. It seems like John Stewart is so old, like his neuroplasticity is just gone. And the other kind of strain of leftist thought, which I think is like it's the main stream now and it's only going to get more powerful it's just like nihilistic destruction of society and like starship troopers it's parody because it portrays this utopian society and it the main star is this like blonde guy with a really strong jaw looks like he came off an ss poster and just because it has that kind of guy you know that he's a bad guy in the movies making fun of him and when someone does heroic things heroic things are bad and fascist and so the movie is making fun of that too and that's sort of thing like just showing a fascist uniform right the uniforms are obviously inspired by ss uniforms in the movie for the the mobile infantrymen and the the officers and uh, just by seeing those uniforms you can tell that they're the bad guys and that the movie's made one of them and that's not true at all and you know you can enjoy the movie all the same without thinking that they're the bad guys in fact there's no real reason to think these guys are the bad guys but people will insist that because it, it um winds up with their biases and um yeah, that, that strain of thought, that kind of like nihilistic destruction society, like that's going to get more common. It's also going to drive a lot of people away because people don't like living in like a shithole. But you never know, like there could be some huge social revolution or mass hysteria and that could be the, the main ideology for a while. Like reading more about the Russian Revolution, that's basically what happened, where people wanted to destroy everything that was good. And that was like, you know, they wanted to invert all system of values. A great line from uh, the, the book, A Russian Dance of Death, which is by a Dutch Mennonite in Ukraine and his 
Pierce village was uh, really ravaged during the Russian Civil War by uh, marauding anarchists. He said that the real problem was certain moral conceptions that should underlie any kind of society had been overthrown. Like, it wasn't just a government problem. Everyone was just kind of a piece of shit back then. And uh, yeah, like that could happen and that could, you know, do a lot of damage. But I, I hope that it won't. And uh, I think that at least there's a chance to avoid the, the bad ending. And finally, just going back to parodies in general, I think that these sort of pastiches and these sort of in inherently conservative settings where there's the, the futuristic fascist state, they're so naturally compelling that people are going to insert the parody just so that they're allowed to show them, right? Because people like them when they see them. So like a show like Down Abbey, people love the English manner system. They love comedies of manners. They love this opulence and beauty, but that's only possible in a very conservative society. Like far less societies would not have these things, these beautiful things. But people are fascinated by them anyway. In my real life, I you know, know multiple liberals who love Down Abbey, and that's because I think these things are inherently compelling, but the only way you're allowed to show them now is through parody or some kind of social critique. So you're showing this thing and people love it, but you have to say that you're showing it because you actually think it's bad. So it's like, well, we're showing the English manner system, but everyone's a gay drug addict or something like that. And everyone's very unhappy. And really, we need like, you know, a communist revolution or something like that. I, I don't know. I'm, I've never seen it. But yeah, like people like that's that's like the common cop out. On Far Cry 3, there's a great quote from the, the lead writer where he's like, oh, this game was actually supposed to be a satire of the, like, white dude bro hero going on his, like, magical quest. And he's, like, this, like, superhuman, invincible, like, gunfighter. And the game doesn't parody that at all, right? It's just, like, he just shows you that thing. But to have that kind of, like, base-level, enjoyable plot, like, everyone likes the power fantasy... You have to say that it's actually making fun of the power fantasy, but that gets more and more dubious because, you know, so many of these people are spiteful and vindictive, and when they make fun of things, that it seems like a cope. And so they have to mute that, and eventually, if they mute it enough, they just get an enjoyable, entertainment product, and people can appreciate the thing for itself. I mean, I, I guess Starship Troopers, maybe it had that effect. I, I really don't think that, that Paul Verhoeven cares that much. He's that passionate about politics. But certainly, the, the parody elements of it are not nearly as strong as people online are suggesting, and the movie can be just enjoyed for itself. So yes, that's all I've got on Starship Troopers, and that's all I've got for this week. This was a free episode. Um, please reward my trust for you. Subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it if you became a paid subscriber. The overlying majority of podcast episodes are going to be paywalled, and they're all super low this. You can click the subscribe now button to subscribe, or the upgrade to paid button. You're already a subscriber to, to upgrade to a paid subscription. These really do help me out a lot, and uh, there's, I think, 20 hours from more of uh, content at this point. So, you, uh, you know, you get a lot, and you get access to history articles that I've written on kind of unexplored topics in American history. So yeah, please do that. Um, you know, I, I do hate free subscribers so much. I don't want there to be any more of them. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Like, I'll, I'll take them, I guess. But yeah, that's all I've got for this week. There should be more coming soon. I've got a few articles in the hopper and a few episodes that are like I'm, I'm editing. But it's kind of, it, you know, it takes a while to, do, to remove all the ums and, and what have you, which I'm, I'm sure there are still some that slip through. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed.